America is back to losing. With Joe Biden as president, America is back to losing again. And it is so sad. And it was so unnecessary. This is really, really tough to watch, huh? And it does. It reminds people of Saigon, 1975, right? Leaving the embassy. America was winning with Donald Trump. It's one of the reasons why he won. Because Obama, Biden, they were good at losing. He recognized that. And he turned it around. And he promised he would. Our country is in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. And with Joe Biden, it's back to losing. Seven months after his inauguration, there he is. Look at this. This is pathetic. He's alone at Camp David. Why did he go there? That's another story. We're not sure yet. So the optics are terrible um, at the White House, but even just catastrophic overseas. Now, let's go to Afghanistan. Look, to be honest, I don't care who runs Afghanistan. I actually, I don't. We've got too many other things to worry about. But what I do worry about, American prestige, American power, and American safety. And it's all being compromised by these images, and especially out at the airport. Have you seen this yet? This is as chaotic as it can get. And for these poor people who are desperately trying to flee right now, it got even worse for some of them. Watch this. Some of those on the side of the plane you saw actually try to ride the plane from the outside. Of course, that doesn't work. At the airport, U.S. troops are again in harm's way. Chaos could have been avoided. For all those people running to the airport, desperate to get out of the country, um, if they could see what I'm about to show you, they might turn around. The situation at the airport, it's, I mean, look at this. We've seen people sitting on top of planes, on the wings, all over the place. This is, uh, this is what happens when the U.S. gets out too fast. We got out way too fast. We could be living with the implications, ramifications for a long time to come. First of all, all the weapons, they're now in the hands of the Taliban. State-of-the-art weapons, brand new, some of them. Taliban, they'll put them to good use, probably maybe against women and girls. How about the state-of-the-art Air Force that Joe Biden is still proud of? Well, that is now uh, property of the Taliban. And welcome home, Al-Qaeda, terror fighters, you name it, thugs, bandits, terrorists, former Guantanamo detainees. They're all being let out of prison inside of Afghanistan by the Taliban. Now, a normal person would say that this is chaos, this is utter defeat, this looks terrible. But check out the spin job they tried for a good chunk of this weekend, the Biden administration. 
This is standard operating procedure in, uh, in, in, in any such situation. There, there are plans in place uh, if we're leaving uh, an embassy compound, uh, relocating our people to another place to, to, to take all of those steps, the ones that you just listed. Uh, so this is exactly what we would do uh, in, uh, in any of these uh, situations. Uh, and again, this is being done in a very deliberate way. It's being done in an orderly way, and it's being done with American forces there to make sure we can do it in a safe way. Deliberate, orderly, safely. Uh, boy, this is beyond spin. This is beyond dishonesty. These are, these are lies, and they are, I don't know if they're kind of holding Joe Biden out to dry or, or trying to defend him, but this is horrendous. What were they thinking? Why is he alone this weekend? I really want to know. Uh, but just a few weeks ago, Joe Biden said so emphatically, and unfortunately for him, he was pretty coherent when he said it, that everything we're seeing now would not happen. Impossible. No way. Highly unlikely at best. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They did not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. So just about everything he said there, he's wrong. He's wrong. And I think it's a combination of Joe being dumb, Joe being stubborn and Joe being deceptive. He said the question is, what happens next? The question is, um, what happens next for Joe Biden? And what happens next to his Secretary of Defense and his Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Lloyd Austin and General Milley, these two should be in a great deal of trouble. They should be fighting for their jobs. They should have been fighting for our country, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, over the past couple of months, they have made it quite clear that strategic concerns that come with these big jobs were not really their concerns. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. Virtue signaling and making the military woke, that was their priority. 
Why would they do that, especially Milley? So he could keep his job. You know, he's up for renewal in just a couple of months. And, I mean, he really worked it. He really wanted a firm grasp of critical race theory, and here he is showing off about it. And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. All right. I think he rehearsed that, All right. That is state-of-the-art virtue signaling. And by the way, I applaud Congressman Gates. You know, he never served in the military. And a lot of lawmakers, they're intimidated by people in uniform. Uh, he's not, and he shouldn't be. That's our civilian leadership, and it's military service. They are in service to us. Don't forget that. Too many people in this country want it to be some sort of a police state where those in uniform are in charge. That is not the case, although they want it that way. I want to talk also about Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. He's kept a low profile, but when he does speak, it is not impressive. Again, the same woke America is racist and we got to fix it nonsense. This department will be diverse. Uh, it will be inclusive. And uh, you know, we're going to look like the country that we support and defend. Look like style, feelings, base names, Fort Benning. That might offend somebody. Uh, Fort Bragg, that might offend somebody. What's offending a lot of people is seeing our country's image tarnished overseas by a lack of planning, by a lack of preparedness. This man is so in love with the victim narrative. Even him, Secretary of Defense, and a former four-star general feels like a victim. There's probably not a job that I had since I was a lieutenant colonel where some people didn't question whether or not I was qualified to, to take that job. It's the world I live in, and, and I'm sure that the other officers that you talk to would, would probably say the same thing. There's not a day in my life, David, when I didn't wake up and think about the fact that I was a black man. I would go someplace with my staff, and we were wearing civilian clothes. Somebody would come out to meet the, meet the general, and I wasn't the guy that they walked up to. They thought that maybe one of the white people was the general. Now, he thinks that's proof of us being a racist country, a racist Pentagon, a racist society. You know, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, Trump's HUD secretary, brain surgeon, told me a story once. When he became a brain surgeon, he was one of only eight black brain surgeons in the entire world. And he had a similar um, reaction sometimes. People, he'd brief patients and then they would be like, well, where's the doctor? And he'd be like, I am the doctor. And people would get nervous, they'd laugh and whatever. And he said, it's okay, I understand. And he would often have a friend for life. That's not the way he played it. And it's not the way he plays it. This military that he has so many grave doubts about to this day made him a four-star general. And he's still, I think, talking up problems that don't exist. For instance, at his confirmation hearings, it was all about extremists in the ranks, discrimination, oh, and how to handle COVID. 
Didn't talk much about Afghanistan, unfortunately, or the Taliban, unfortunately. And I can tell he took his eye off the ball big time. Watch this. Have you ever been in a situation where your boss asked you something and you really weren't quite ready for the question? I think he was in that situation here when he was responding to a member of Congress. Secretary Austin, this Monday, the Taliban seized control of a key district of Kunduz province in the north of Afghanistan. And it's a, the latest in a series of recent battlefield victories after peace talks have stalled. Dozens of districts have been taking over the Taliban since May 1st when NATO began withdrawing. And you've said that you, quote, we're looking at the situation every day with a fresh set of eyes to see if you know the pace we are setting is the appropriate pace, unquote. So given the accelerating pace of Taliban victories and control of key districts since we've been withdrawing since May 1st, how are things going? I mean, is that an appropriate, is our withdrawal at an appropriate pace when they're picking up all these districts around the country? Well, well thank you. Uh, we are focused on, and the task that we've been, that we have at hand is to conduct our retrograde in a safe, orderly, uh, and responsible fashion. Uh, we've developed a, a very detailed plan to do that. And, uh, and we have accomplished uh, the task according to plan thus far uh, and, uh, and, and really provided for the safety of not only our forces, but our allies as well. And we'll remain focused on that. So. All right. That's world class tap dancing. OK, that's when you don't have that much to say. You use more words and uh, you kill time. You run out the clock. I didn't think that was a substantive answer. Hey, but look, he works for Joe Biden. Speaking of a lack of substance, and he came out this afternoon, had a few things to say. Number one, blame Trump. Uh, number two, blame the Afghanis, uh, but don't blame Joe. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just a little over three months after I took office. U.S. forces had already drawn down during the Trump administration from roughly 15,500 American forces to 2,500 troops in country. And the Taliban was at its strongest militarily since 2001. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. But if Afghanistan is unable to mount any real resistance to the Taliban now, there is no chance that one year, one more year, five more years, or 20 more years, the U.S. military boots in the ground would have made any difference. All right, but with a bit more planning, a bit more attention to detail, Maybe a little bit more hard work on your part. You don't seem to be working very hard. Your administration seems consumed with the trivial, with the irrelevant. We would have avoided this catastrophe. Innocent people put in this position thanks to you. This is your responsibility, Joe Biden. Boy, I wish Donald Trump was still there. And by the way, he was never able to do what he's a, he says he's about to do. But I mean that as a compliment. This is the day he declared back in June of 2015. Take a look. 
Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. Nobody. I will find within our military, I will find the General Patton, or I will find General MacArthur. I will find the right guy. I will find the guy that's going to take that military and make it really work. Nobody, nobody will be pushing us around. The only thing is, he did beat ISIS. Nobody pushed us around with him as president, but he never found that top general. Mattis didn't work out. Dunford didn't work out. Milley turned out to be a traitor. You know who the guy was, the guy he was looking for? It was him, Donald Trump. He made it happen. I'll be right back with the media's role in this catastrophic failure. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. They don't get Afghanistan. They didn't care. Look, that's a hard issue to get your hands around. It's not fun. It's not politics. So the biggest issue of our time right now, the fall of Kabul, Afghanistan, to the Taliban, the whole damn country, received hardly any attention in 2020 because they were too busy pursuing fake news and anything to get Trump. So I'm going to go through it with you. I'll prove it to you, actually. The Chris Wallace debate, Trump versus Biden, not one mention of Afghanistan. The Kristen Welker debate, Trump versus Biden, not one reference to Afghanistan. Uh, The Lester Holt town hall on NBC News, no talk of Afghanistan. Savannah Guthrie, the town hall, no talk of Afghanistan. It goes on like this. Anderson Cooper, the town hall with Joe Biden. No questions about Afghanistan. George Stephanopoulos, the town hall with Donald Trump. No questions about Afghanistan. And it goes on and on and on like this. The only time they wanted to talk about Afghanistan was that fake news story about the bounty being put on American soldiers' head by Putin. That turned out to be totally fake news. A collusion, if you will, between some in the media and the deep state. When that came out, they jumped on it. You had a phone call with Vladimir Putin on July 23rd. Did you bring up this issue? No, that was a phone call to discuss other things. And frankly, uh, that's an issue that uh, many people said was uh, fake news. Who said it was was fake news? I think a lot of people. uh, If you look at some of the wonderful folks from the Bush administration, uh, some of them, not any friends of mine, we're saying that it's a fake issue. Never it's because you don't believe the intelligence. That's why. No, uh, it never reached my okay. desk. You know why? Because they didn't think it was intelligence. They didn't think it was real. It was they in your written think, brief, though. They didn't think it was worthy. of. Re- I wouldn't mind. If it reached my desk, I would have done something about it. It never reached my desk. But the story 
did its damage. The fake news story did its damage. And even ultimately, the Biden administration, once they were safely in power, admitted as much that this was a bogus story. So that's the one time they talked about Afghanistan, a fake news story that they thought could hurt the president. Meanwhile, what were they obsessed with? Anything to, uh, I don't know, any perceived vulnerability about Donald Trump, they hit and they hit hard. Let's talk about our next section, which is race in America. You were asked point blank to denounce white supremacy. In the moment, you didn't. Systemic racism in America is real. We should not be debating that. The white supremacy of today has not reached the level it did a century ago. But some of its deeply troubling ideas are returning. For the fake news, it was much more fun. It was a lot easier to play up this stuff then tackle the real issue of the Taliban, Afghanistan, withdrawal timelines. That was hard and not, for them, particularly interesting. So they focused on this kind of stuff. What was their other mission? To protect Joe Biden. They had to protect him. You know, there was a time where political journalists said to themselves, we got to make sure they're ready to be president by being really, really hard on them. That's how they kind of made excuses for themselves to ask all these silly questions and to look into their private lives. Well, they didn't even do that when it came to uh, Mr. Biden. When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads? Last night, President Trump mocked you for wearing a mask and said that this is a sign that you must have some, quote, big issues. I wonder if you worry that this kind of language that comes from the president of the United States could deter some Americans who are tuning into him to not wear masks. Let me ask you about another thing the president said last night. He once again suggested to his supporters that they should consider voting twice if they're in one of those states that can allow you to request an absentee ballot. Just curious what you make of it. One softball after the next, an invitation to bash uh, President Trump. Why do they do that? Well. I think they had orders, whether they were formally ordered or they just took it upon themselves to protect Joe Biden. We all saw that he's very weak. He's very weak during the campaign. Sometimes he just seemed totally, you know, I mean, lost. And unfortunately, he seems really lost now, and the stakes are so much higher. This photograph of him at the desk, maybe it's Camp David alone during the worst crisis uh, this country has seen in 10 years, 15 years, I don't know. That does not inspire confidence. Maybe if they were a little tougher on him during the campaign, they would have gotten him ready. This is not just for me. People in the business of politics, in the business of government have grave doubts about Joe Biden. Remember the name Robert Gates? Robert Gates was CIA director under Ronald Reagan, became defense secretary under George W. Bush, and also for Barack Obama, and worked closely with Joe Biden. Here's what he says about Joe Biden in his uh, memoir published two years ago. Uh, I'll read from it now. I think Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. That's, uh, whew, that's quite a track record. And nobody sees Mr. Gates as, uh, as a partisan, really. So um, what else does he think about Joe Biden? Is he ready to be president? Still, I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. 
would he be an effective commander-in-chief? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I stand by that statement. That was a big, deep breath. He's been in the room with him, the Situation Room, the Oval Office. He didn't know. Well, now we all know. I knew before. You knew before. But now everybody knows. Even the fake news knows. He's not a good commander-in-chief. He's not a good president. He shouldn't be there. But somehow he is. Somehow he is. I have a feeling somebody won't be there for much longer, though. Uh, General Milley. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Number one, he made a spectacle out of himself uh, in apologizing needlessly for this moment, this moment when he walked across the street with the president of the United States. Nobody had a problem with this, except maybe key allies in the incoming Democrat administration. Why would he apologize? As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. It's a, it's a ridiculous statement. Why did he do that? I believe, and a lot of people do, he was playing footsie with Democrats, and he was pulling for Democrats to win in November. Now, take a look at this. This is a very bizarre statement, as reported by two reporters, fake news reporters to be sure, but I have a feeling this is a legit story from General Milley. Something else changed for Milley after June 1st, that walk across the street. That summer, he kept hearing Trump warn that he might not trust the November election results, that if he did not win by a landslide, the vote was rigged. So what did they do? Milley told aides that he had reached out to a trusted confidant soon after Lafayette Square. He had a plan, and he needed someone to hold him accountable to it. This is weird. I have four tasks from now until the 20th of January, and I'm going to accomplish my mission, Milley told this confidant, referring to the inauguration in 2021. Mission one is to get us from now until the election without U.S. troops on the streets of America killing Americans. Mission two is no overseas war with Iran. Mission three is maintaining the integrity of the U.S. military. Mission four is maintaining my own personal integrity. That's my mission, and I commit to you that mission, he continued. And our mission is to ensure the United States of America has a free and fair election with no U.S. military involvement whatsoever. Um, his mission is not up to him. He's kind of giving himself this uh, self-righteous assignment. Uh, there's something that does not quite add up about his story, and he's telling somebody else. And you'll notice his mission was not anything about Afghanistan, if only he had started planning back then. It wasn't just the general and the defense secretary and uh, Joe Biden, but what about the Central Intelligence Agency? Where have they been in all of this? They've been playing the, the woke music a lot lately. Remember their ad campaign a few months ago? Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. 
I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me. Full stop. Doesn't she look like she, that, that's a middle school? That looks like a middle school and some sort of art project for a middle school. No, that's the Central Intelligence Agency. And she's an analyst with an attitude who works there. I don't care about any of that stuff. We care about whether or not you're good at your job. And too many people at the CIA apparently are not good at their jobs. Let's face it. They screwed up. They helped screw up Afghanistan. No doubt about it. Uh, going back, no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq when they said there would be. I mean, maybe we ought to change the name of this organization, rebrand it, start again. And, of course, their failures to stop September 11th. They should have known. They should have protected us. I'll be right back. Maybe the fake news finally knows that this is a fake insurrection, okay? It's fake. It wasn't real. They weren't trying to take over the government. Ask Nancy Pelosi about how she deployed those Capitol Hill police officers, what she knew about who was coming to town ahead of time. Not an insurrection. This, however, in Afghanistan, what we're seeing now, these guys taking over the government, this is an insurrection, all right? And to think, to think, all the time that was wasted about January 6th. Clearly, this was a yeah. deadly insurrection. Clearly, they were attempting to overthrow our government. This is an insurrection. Last week's insurrection was shocking and tragic. We've seen an unprecedented insurrection in our capital and a brutal attack on our democracy on January the 6th. There is a presidential-inspired insurrection. Plain and simple, an insurrection. The president of the United States incited insurrection against our country. The insurrection was an existential crisis, a test of whether our democracy could survive. What we're seeing now is an insurrection. What we're seeing now will go down in history as a catastrophe, all right? Just like Saigon, Kabul 2021, even looks the same. I think history actually will put January 6th into the appropriate context and perspective that it deserves. But boy, oh boy, did we waste a lot of time on that day. So back to Afghanistan. This is Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor to Joe Biden. These names aren't as big as they used to be, right? We don't have Brent Scowcroft or Henry Kissinger. This is uh, Jake Sullivan. How do you explain getting this so wrong? Well, first, Savannah, to be fair, the helicopter has been the mode of transport from our embassy to the airport for the last 20 years. But you know the larger that is, point. That is, it's not the that helicopter. Is how we move it's not the mechanism. Forth, so. No, no. It's to the last minute scramble. You know that. It's the last minute scramble when the assurances from the president himself were this was not what we were going to see. It is certainly the case that the speed with which cities fell uh, was much greater than anyone anticipated, including uh, the Afghans, uh, including uh, many of the analysts who looked hard at this problem. Did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> Trying to say that everything is standard, that what we're seeing, I mean, 
Boy, oh boy, he obviously works for Joe Biden, who's a, a, an accomplished liar, to say that this is standard, that all is going really according to the, uh, the plan. Good for Savannah for finally trying to straighten him out. Um, I don't trust the crew around uh, Joe Biden. I, I don't really, I'm not impressed by people who talk like this. The reason that there are U.S. forces at the airport effectuating a successful drawdown of our embassy, uh, securing the airport to be able to get other people out is because the president pre-positioned those forces. All right. I want to show you again what effectuating the evacuation looks like, effectuating it and having our forces there securing the situation. Right. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Want to bring in right now Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida, former Green Beret, member of the House Armed Services Committee, and several tours under his belt in Afghanistan. Also with us, Representative Guy Reschenthaler, Republican of Pennsylvania, former U.S. Navy JAG officer, deployed extensively throughout Iraq. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. First to Congressman Waltz. Um, what are your thoughts right now uh, that America almost appears to have lost a war? Well, this is a this is a disaster of historic proportions. I think this is the biggest foreign policy disaster in modern American history. From a humanitarian standpoint, the women and girls uh, that the left and the Democrats uh, you know, pretend to care about uh, are Afghan interpreters. From a from a, uh, a credibility standpoint, this is also a disaster. Can you imagine? what Taiwan, what Ukraine and other allies are thinking right now. I mean, they're shaking in their boots uh, watching this administration abandon our allies. And then from a counterterrorism standpoint, America is far less safe. The Taliban and al-Qaeda are married at the hip. Al-Qaeda 3.0 will come roaring back. Biden's own intelligence community uh, has repeatedly briefed us so. But this time, it's going to be far worse. Because when we have to go back and deal with that, we've got no bases, no local allies, and the Taliban are going to be armed to the teeth, literally with warehouses full of armor, artillery, and heavy weapons. This is an absolute disaster, and it is infuriating to those of us who have sacrificed so much there. I understand. You know, our intelligence community has gotten it wrong before, didn't predict 9-11 uh, sufficiently. Uh, no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and now the Taliban falling in minutes when it was supposed to take months, if not a year. Congressman Reschenthaler, beyond Joe Biden, and be Joe Biden is responsible, but he's there to stay, I guess, for now. Who should lose their job immediately? Well, I think Joe Biden should resign immediately. Not only this debacle that you have in Afghanistan, but you also have chaos on the southern border. Inflation is out of control. He clearly is not up for the job. But just going back to the to the comment on the intel community, you, you know, Joe Biden stood there on the stage and said the buck stops here while he proceeded to blame our allies in Afghanistan. He proceeded to blame President Trump and the intel community. I just think that the intel community is being part of this scapegoat mission, um, this past the buck, not the buck stops here, spin that Joe Biden is engaged in. And, and let me just make this prediction. Uh, my good friend Mike Walsh just said that the Taliban is going to be stronger than ever. They're also probably going to be stronger than ever because they have the opportunity now to partner with the Chinese Communist Party. Could you imagine a scenario where the Chinese Communist Party provides data surveillance to the Taliban government for the Taliban to crack down even harder on its citizens in exchange for the Chinese Communist Party being able to 
I don't know, mine rare earth elements in Afghanistan. This is the debacle. Our, as America sits down, our enemies stand up. And uh, certainly the Taliban, uh, uh, the Taliban will harbor terrorists. And the only people they gain besides the Taliban and terrorist organizations, Russia and China. I don't think uh, Joe Biden's going to resign. I would love to see it myself. But I do have a couple of people in mind who should resign and uh, or might be fired. We'll come back with that, gentlemen. Stay with us. Back with us, uh, two veterans, members of Congress, Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida, and Congressman Guy Reschenthaler, Republican of Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, your thoughts on General Milley, and let me just refresh your memory about where his priorities seem to have been over the past uh, couple of months. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. And this from uh, Secretary Lloyd Austin, uh, something he's talked about quite a bit. This department will be diverse. Uh, it will be inclusive. And uh, you know, we're going to look like the country that we support and defend. Look, gentlemen, they have talked about Afghanistan, and those are just two sound bites. But it is my sense that they have gone all in on woke culture, and they've taken their eye off the ball in terms of America's strategic interests. Uh, Congressman Waltz, your thoughts, please. Well, it's clear that we had no plan uh, to evacuate our embassy. We had no plan to get out the interpreters who stood and fought with us and are now being hunted down this, uh, as we speak. Uh, and it's and I've asked repeatedly uh, during those hearings and briefings for a counterterrorism plan for how we're going to keep Al Qaeda uh, over there versus hitting us back over here with, again, no bases and no local allies. So I think if they are a little more worried about those things uh, then and a little less worried about uh, trying to lecture me on history lessons, uh, I'm calling for uh, Secretary Blinken to I mean, Secretary Blinken to resign and Secretary Austin. They were both, by the way, in charge when we pulled out of Iraq too soon that led to the rise of ISIS, a caliphate the size of Indiana, and attacks across Europe and the United States. So this is the same old crew that was with Obama that's now uh, with Biden and creating this same horror movie that's going to cost more American lives. Secretary Blinken did look very weak. They all look weak, but I am particularly uh, annoyed with uh, General Milley and Secretary Austin. We'll see what happens. You guys, final uh, thoughts, if you don't mind, Congressman Reschenthaler. I just think it's a sad day, not only for the United States, but our ability to project power abroad. It's a sad day, certainly, for our allies who count on the United States to support them. And a sad day for the Afghan people. And let me just end with, by saying this. This was not inevitable. We could have retained the Bagram Air Base. We could have had a small contingency yeah. of, let's say, 2,000 uh, so troops. We're still in Germany. We're still in Japan. We're still in Korea. We're still in Cuba, for that matter. We should have always had a presence here and not ceded this territory and not let down our allies on the ground in Afghanistan. Congressman Reschenthaler, Congressman Waltz, thank you. Thank you for your service and uh, to be All continued. Right. All the best. We'll be right back. Chicago still out of control like so many other cities in America. 56 shot, eight fatally just this weekend. There was a bad weekend here in New York as well. 
How about this, though, for a new headline, a new type of headline? They're talking about refunding the police, even liberal cities in blue states, refunding, not defunding the police. A step in the right direction. At least um, I like it. Gary McCarthy, former superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. He is a CEO at GFM Strategies, a security investigations consulting company. Chief, welcome back to uh, Newsmax. How are you? I'm great, Craig. It's great to see you again. Thanks so much for being here. Look, I know you had your hands full there in Chicago. The liberal left leadership often gave you a hard time. Um, but this is a nightmare. Off the top of your head, and I know you've been thinking about this for a while, what do we do now? Um, first of all, we take a deep breath <laughs> and we recognize that what we're doing is not working. <laughs> That's where you start. What is it? Uh, the first step towards reconciliation is recognition. And and somebody needs to recognize that there's a 100% increase in the murder rate um, since 2015 when I was police superintendent. That's because of the policies, the programs, uh, the elected officials trying to legislate uh, what happens in, in uh, the police department uh, across Illinois, not just here in Chicago. There's the Police Reform Act that was signed by the governor here. Um, you're showing pictures of New York City. It breaks my heart to think about all the work that, that we did there uh, to get that city to a place where it's never been before, um, except going back to like the 50s and 60s, and we're giving it all away. And people are dying as a result, and nobody seems to really care about that. We're worried about tearing down statues instead of worrying about people dying. And that's just not OK. Do you sense there's a, a change, though, <laughs> afoot? The folks in the community, no matter what their color, no matter where they come from, I think they're on the side of the police for the most part. Yes, you got these some of these crazy <laughs> millennials, a lot of college educated uh, white people seem to hate the cops more than anybody else. But folks in the community, I think, still respect cops in the heart of the community. And we're seeing these uh, refund the police movements. Is there hope? I, I think that's absolutely true, Greg. Um, but I can tell you this, going back years and years and years ago, um, even in the most difficult communities that we dealt with as far as violent crime and sometimes community relations, the vast majority of people only wanted public safety. I mean, yeah. it's it, matter where you live, people want to wake up and, and not find that somebody got shot in their bed because a bullet came through their window. And it's happening and all the time, especially in communities of color. Gary McCarthy, thank you very much. We'll be back. Eric Bowling is back and he's fighting big media, woke politics and cancel culture. Every afternoon, Eric's new The Balance tells the truth and exposes the big lies. Watch Eric Bowling every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Yes, elections have consequences. I am so sorry, Afghanistan. We'll see you tomorrow. Stand by for Cinchfield.